HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. I'm Lou Bank. I am Chopper One. And I'm Ryan Acock, the Cocktail MD. And this is Agave Road Trip, the critically acclaimed award-winning podcast that helps Green Gex bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico. And today we're talking about, you know, I was I was watching this meme the other day on the internet, and they were talking about, I, mean, I guess it's very well known everywhere, that this perception that we have of all the sculptures in Rome and Greece being completely white is not accurate. That they were huh? full of color. Do you know that? Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on a second. So the sculptures were painted? Everything was painted. All the the part, like every building was absolutely colorful as crazy. I think even the textiles were super colorful. You know, that's really, it's interesting. The work that I did on the Van Gogh exhibit, right? One of the things that I discovered in that is when we look at his paintings of um, of the bedroom, Mm-hmm. Right, he did. He did a few of them. When we look at those paintings, we assume that his walls were blue, but in fact, it turns out they've done studies, and it turns out that those those walls were purple. The original paint color was purple. But oh. you know, to your point, Java, uh, yeah. colors change over time. Absolutely, but I think as you know, as 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 a world, uh, like I think every culture in this planet has been obsessed with colors. And I mean, it's not only birds that use colors to mate, to like, I'm the prettiest bird around. We also try to make foods and other things that we consume look rather pretty, right? And then that was, that used to be all based in nature. And then uh, a bunch of chemists came by and decided they could <laughs> achieve a bunch of colors that the world had never seen uh, using other means. And I think that's what we're talking about today, right, Ryan? <laughs> yeah. So back in March, we did the tequila additives talk where we discuss putting caramel coloring into foods and we discuss how caramel coloring is a known carcinogen and so pepsi company had to go so far as to change its formula so it could comply with california regulations 
not because of our podcast episode, but because of California regulations. Right. Yes. Okay. That's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Lou. Yeah. That's okay. Anyway, so so we, we started with the caramel coloring, and now we're talking about just general dyes? Yes. And so there are lots of ways that people try to make food more colorful. And so we discussed in a recent episode about using squid ink or activated charcoal to make things black. Mm -hmm. And really, food coloring has been around for many decades, and it's, and it's been a concern for many decades. So probably the first person to raise the alarm came about in the 1970s. Ben Feingold wrote a book called Why Your Child is Hyperactive, and he no. blamed hyperactivity no. in kids on food coloring. Huh. So Kool-Aid was the biggest offender. Maybe so. Yeah, that would be a good example of something that kids enjoy and kids who are hyperactive stay hyperactive after drinking Kool-Aid. So could it be the artificial food coloring? Or maybe all the sugar? Possibly. That was also a thought of uh, sugar makes kids <laughs> hyperactive, but not really. Kids are hyperactive anyway, and they like the taste of sugar. So, But it turns out that Dr. Feingold may have been onto something here. So there have been a couple of studies looking at hyperactive children and then surveying their parents. And so these group of researchers took hyperactive children, gave them cookies on different days that either had food coloring added to it or no food coloring, and then yep. surveying the parents and asking how did the child perform today and found that on the no food coloring day, the child was better behaved. So, you know, maybe there is something to hyperactivity and food coloring. Oh, wow. Uh. Do you think they were just more bored? They were like, I, I, did, I didn't have that cool-looking uh, cookie, so I'm, I'm going to behave better today or nah, something like that. No, kids have such a short attention span. <laughs> They're not going to care one bit or the other an hour later as to what the color of their cookie was. Yeah. I, I, mean, I kind of like the idea that these studies might have been exhaustive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. We got to look at these kids again today. I'm exhausted. Oh, that kind of exhaustive. Yeah. The good yeah. news is these were surveys of the parents. So I don't think the researchers had to deal too much time with the eight and nine-year-olds that they were looking at. <laughs> oh, man. They'll have hell. But okay. So with kids, and do they, is there any other studies that, that explore this or this was like a one-off situation? No. So I found four looking specifically at mm. children and hyperactivity. And it found that kids, especially those who already had a diagnosis of ADHD, did much worse on days that they had food coloring in their diet as <sighs> opposed to no food coloring. So yeah, there is something that's been shown repeatedly that maybe food coloring does cause some, or does have something to do with hyperactivity in children. Maybe. Oh. Maybe. And, and and when you're saying food coloring, you're talking very specifically, uh, Ryan, about artificial food coloring, Correct. right? You're not talking about the like the natural food coloring you get from something like like what like, what's like charcoal, like activated charcoal. <laughs> <laughs> like activated charcoal, like those little bugs that are what is that? Cochineal. Cochineal. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Cochineal. Right. So you're you're thinking about the Campari. So Campari is an Italian Amaro that uses insects that crushes up cochineal insects and uses that that really? i don't think is that what campari uses no way they used to yes ah. so previously campari used ground up insects now it just uses artificial red yeah. dye but there are some amari to this day that still use cochineal insects ground up into their formula 
oh, we need an episode about this, Lou. We definitely need an episode <laughs> about this. What the hell? Why is this not? Well, this was, there was even like, there was a campaign against Starbucks several years ago when people discovered that they were using the cochineal uh, to color their strawberry lattes. That is the coolest possible thing you could do. Why would anybody not campaign against vegan. that? Not if you're vegan. Oh, Jesus Christ. But actually, I, I, wanted, I wanted to ask something about this. Uh, like, is there anything in the US of A these days that you can eat that doesn't have artificial coloring if oh, you yeah. go to a chain restaurant? Well, so a chain restaurant is going to be problematic because a lot of restaurants do not disclose everything that goes into their meal. But sure, you can still buy, especially kind of the, the vegan friendly and the non-GMO friendly crowd is still going to be against artificial dyes as well. So absolutely, there are things out there that do not use artificial food coloring. And, and Lou, when your question was about the studies on children using artificial food coloring, it was specific things like red number 40 and, and blue number one and blue number two. So there were things that were consistently cited as being problematic in these children's studies. I'm glad you just said that the way you said it, because it reminded me of um, of a story that one of our friends, uh, Elias Catan, shared with me in Mexico City, where apparently there was a lawsuit um, against the makers of Skittles because there's titanium dioxide in Skittles yeah. that maybe is related to the food coloring? Well, so titanium dioxide. So first off, I, titanium I love that he just told yeah. you that and you didn't even flinch, Ryan, that, that, that you were like, yeah, absolutely, titanium dioxide. I well, okay, Sorry. so before med school, I used to be a materials engineer and I used to have to work with titanium dioxide. So I'm pretty familiar with it. <laughs> oh, so, Lord, who this. the hell are you? <laughs> you're our medical correspondent. You're, you're our, I, I don't even, like, like our, our, what is that? I don't even know what that is. Oh, the smart, smart person in the room, Lou. That's what it's Okay, called. you're our yeah. smart correspondent. <laughs> Yeah, so before med school, I used to be a materials engineer with the National Science Foundation's Particle Engineering Research Center. And so I used to work with a lot of things, including metal oxides like titanium dioxide. And and were any of those things less stupid than we are? With the titanium dioxide? Yeah, like is titanium dioxide smarter than us or dumber than us? Well, it's just really used for paint more than anything else. So <laughs> he doesn't want to answer, Lou. He doesn't yeah. want to answer. Okay, leave him. Leave it at that. Yeah, titanium so, dioxide is, is an inactive ingredient. You're not. I can't imagine anyone getting sick from having a small amount of it because we use it in paint oh. all the time. And we eat paint all the time. Well, hopefully that's not. never hurt anybody. <laughs> Yeah, except for before the 1960s when it had lead instead of titanium in there. Yeah. Well, is, is it possible that titanium oxide, we're so off topic, <laughs> that titanium <laughs> oxide is the new lead? No. Well, so there haven't been any studies linking titanium dioxide to things like learning disabilities like there used to be in lead. Yet. Yeah, oh, yeah. Look, come on, don't be an alarmist. I think the, the the quick answer is everything we know points out that the titanium dioxide it's safe in small amounts, unlike lead. So you're safe. Don't go lick your your wall <laughs> later go lick in the your day. Wall. <laughs> okay. But uh, but anyway, so it's so off topic, Lou. I, I don't even know what we're well, discussing originally. Okay, so let's so let's bring it back then. Okay. So if titanium dioxide isn't dangerous, is there any danger to putting any of these artificial food colors in cocktails? Aside from we know activated charcoal, there could be a problem. Yeah, and we talked about the hyperactivity in children. So hopefully, kids are yeah. not at your bar drinking. Yeah, yeah. Well. 
And, and, well, that's and, a good and, point. So that was just specific to children. Right. So, well, there, that was the one on hyperactivity in children. So there was another study that looked specifically at could there be some kind of cancer versus inflammatory effect of having food coloring. And so I found one study that took 15 men. And over the course of five weeks, these 15 men drank, uh, consumed drinks that had sucrose and then using either butterfly pea flower extract or a combination of the two, so sugar and butterfly pea. And then having what? blood work drawn in the subsequent weeks and seeing what were their antioxidant effects. And so yeah. people who consumed the butterfly pea flower extract what? had better antioxidant effects in their bloodstream, which is interesting, but that doesn't prove anything. There was no, there was no study like, did it prevent heart attack rate or did it prevent death or anything like that? So, yeah, so you can use natural food coloring like butterfly pea, and see if that helps. Hang on. Am I the only person, uh, d like, w my brain just stopped listening to anything you said after butterfly pee? <laughs> yeah. Are you saying, like, the urine from a butterfly? No. no. So there's a there's an actual Because I don't want to be the guy who has to, like, th that's my job is accumulating the urine from butterflies. That's like the chumili, according to you. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that would be the that's... Lubank cocktail is the yeah. butterfly pee. Now, I'm talking about yeah. the flower, the butterfly pea flower, which is used in Empress Gin and gives it that purple color. And oh. so, yeah, so that is a natural food coloring. And then as a crazy fact, the, the scientific name for butterfly pea flower is clitoria. And you should look up nope. an image of what a butterfly pea flower looks like and then say, oh, that's where it got the name. Love yeah, it. not gonna. Nope. No, no links. No links no. on the web page for that. So no. boring. Such boring website. <laughs> I got a road trip pass. We, we're giving an opportunity to beautify it, and you run away from it. So disappointed, Lou. But yeah. you know, like that, that. That was that was sort of what I was thinking. You know, in the alcohol world, even before you start making the cocktail, a significant amount of the alcohols that have any coloring to them, it's already artificial. And I, I did not want to disregard the notion of, you know, like vegans ha do having a concern for insects being used in, in coloring. But in my mind, I by far prefer that something without a nervous system, it's being used to give color to my, to, to my drink than some possibly nasty, God knows how it was made, uh, component. That's just me. Well, but, but, but those those god awful nasty components, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Chief Medical Officer Dr. Ryan Acock, cocktail MD. But aren't those all made from plants? Yeah, usually. So or one of the crazy things about hearing all natural ingredients or all natural medications, like most stuff, comes from a natural source at one point. Now we may do a lot of chemical processing on it, but. I, I don't know. It understand. all starts yeah. in nature. Yeah. So like aspirin, for example, comes from tree bark. It's salicylate yeah. from tree. So a lot of stuff comes from nature that we chemically modify and we purify it and we have it at much higher doses. But right. So saying that something is all natural and therefore it's better, mm. like skin cancer and HIV are both all natural. <laughs> that doesn't mean I want either yeah. one of those. Right, right, right. But but I guess my point is is simply this, that in essence, what you're saying, like everything that we consume clearly comes from the natural world. We're not magically pulling it from another dimension. But sometimes when you remove something from its context and you amplify it so that you're, you're concentrating that to make a certain color, you're potentially creating something that's harmful to us in that context. Whereas if we ate it in a flower, 
you know, there's so many other elements of that flower that it doesn't harm us. Is that accurate? Yeah, maybe so. So, like, if you... <laughs> right, well, okay, so... Yeah. Mercury would be an example. Mercury, yeah. if you consume a lot of mercury, probably not good for you. But mercury is also <laughs> found in... Lar- hang on, hang on, hang on. Not good for you. <laughs> Correct. Not good for you. There's the... I don't want to get sued because somebody said... Heard probably from... You know. <laughs> anyway. Keep going. Well, yeah, but mercury is also found in fish. So if you have a yeah. fish on occasion, you're probably not going to get toxic from mercury poisoning as opposed to if you're drinking Quicksilver. Right. Right, exactly my point. So it's all natural, so... But anyway, so I think this really, like, actually, thanks, Lou, for, for the first time in a while doing a very good question. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 because I, I think... Is that, that, is that your save when you were being dismissive of my question, Chava? Yeah, more or less. Uh, no, yeah. no, no, but but I think, like, so is there any, you know, like, we're talking about the caramel coloring that can be a, a an offender. Yeah. Are there, in the cocktail world, any colorings or any resources of color that could be like uh, significant offenders in, in, in this conversation of health and color. Yeah. So we, like we look at the artificial food coloring. So like the blues and like red number one, for example. So those are the things that were linked to hyperactivity in children. I found another study that looked at people with eczema and showed that artificial food coloring on some of them increase their days that they had dermatitis flares and so they had skin flares so again maybe your artificial food coloring might cause a problem for some people who are sensitive to it so there there is some research out there that says if you can avoid artificial food coloring please do so and there are natural food colorings we talked about butterfly pea flower there's also red cabbage can give you a red coloring or Mm. kind of a blue coloring if you want so there there are ways to get coloring that come from nature directly and maybe aren't going to be as harmful as some of the other things that are out there. Which also come from nature, but further buried down yes. in nature than something like a beet, say. Right. So so let me ask you this then, uh, Ryan, and, uh, uh, and if you don't have the answer, I apologize for not telling you in advance I'm going to ask it, but why is it red dye number one, red dye number two, yeah. red dye number 40? What's that about? Are you talking about where the... the naming convention came from well yeah how do like it's i I know where it came from no (laughs) in that okay this is one this is two like they numbered them but but like who is there like some overseeing body that says okay this is appropriate to call a red dye um uh, and we will certify this as red dye number eight yeah it probably is so certainly in the european union there are certain colors so like sunset yellow is called e110 and that means there's got to be some kind of certifying body out there that says this chemical is going to be sunset yellow or E110. So I'm sure there is some kind of IUPAC, or not IUPAC, but some kind of like ANSI or ISO organization that says that this is what. Yes, you it's call like this Pantone color. colors, Lou. And it's mostly so, you know, <laughs> if you're in industry, if you're Skittles, and if you're ordering Skittles in Taiwan, India and the United States, you don't tell them, well, I want a yellow Skittle. You give them a code, a code of a color, and they can replicate that specific Skittle yellow everywhere. Well, in the yeah, I know. I, I, I get Pantone, but Pantone is different, right? Pantone is literally a shade, whereas uh, when you're talking about red dye number two, you're talking about something that's chemically 
defined as opposed to um, oh, that's uh, interesting. Defined by the, so by, yeah, by but the, but also by the, the formulation of the like when ah, you're making my brain hurt. But also like <laughs> when, when you go to the paint store and you're ordering uh, like yeah. maybe different companies have different chemical competitions to achieve their Pantone. Like Dupont yeah. might have a different. Uh, right. chemical competition to share, like composition share with Williams, but at the end they do a red that it's very, very close to what you call a Pantone, whatever number. Yeah, that. Okay. Wow. We okay. I think, I think that's a wrap. Is that a wrap? I think sure. A wrap. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> you had so many other things to say, right, Ryan? That we just didn't allow you. To oh, say. that's every episode. We jump around so much, and then we <laughs> we cut off the last like third of whatever I send you guys. <laughs> That'll teach you to do research. <laughs> oh, Lord. I'm sorry, Ryan. I'm so sorry. Uh, but yeah, that's a wrap, I guess. So, oh, adiosito, oh. jovenes. Thanks very much, Dr. Ryan Acock, Cocktail MD. Catch you next episode. Thank Adios. you. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lubank and Chava Periban. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Eat responsibly too. And listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.